You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkopf. Well, hey there, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast again, talking about a topic that sometimes, for me, brings feelings of intense guilt. So the yeah, I of think, apologetics. Yeah, the defense of the faith is, and I think we all admire people. We've known people in our past that have been so, seem so ready and eager, and just they were always talking about conversations they were having with non-believers, and like it seemed like conversations. Yeah, and they're like leading people to the Lord. And I know there's some there's some gifts of the Spirit involved in there, but I think the conversation of how do we share our faith with people? How do how do we bring others into relationship with God or introduce them to this God who loves them. I, it, I often end up in the same place as you. I just feel guilty. Like I'm not doing this enough. I have a really foggy idea of what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm doing this, or like I'm not engaging this person in any sort of meaningful way. So I can like give a canned speech, but it's not the canned speech that they needed to hear. Do you feel any of that? Well, traditionally, when I thought of the word apologetics, I thought at the time, like, you know, I was in Toronto and I sat down with a guy for maybe five hours for Buffalo Wings. And we're talking about, you know, a different, he, he was of a different religious faith and talking about the differences in faith. And we're hashing it out over a five hour conversation. And by the end of it, my eyes are like, you know, in the back of my head. And that's when I think of apologetics naturally, that's kind of the direction I go in my mind. And so not always the most positive image, I guess. Yeah. It seems like you're, you're like, and I appreciate the people that do this. Um, but just like you are, fighting with somebody that's not of of your faith tradition trying to convince them of the truth of this and the right I, argument yeah exactly and the right argument yeah and sort of like this you, you're trying to to get your point across in any way possible where i think uh benno seems his writing seems to be uh one of the things i appreciate he talked about listening we need to hear like yes we have a message to share yes there's some exclusive claims that we that we will not back away from in Christianity. And yet I think at least me, I'm sometimes a really bad listener because I'm really wanting to get that golden bullet in that will convince them of the truth. Right. And um, yeah, I just think that there's a, there's a full orbed discussion here that, that uh, we could really have with him today. Well, as you mentioned his name already, but our guest on the podcast today is Benno Vanden Turin, and he's a professor of intercultural theology at the Protestant Theological U University in the Netherlands. And I'm saying that because he's going to pronounce the name of the town where he lives. <laughs> and you'll know why I just cannot pronounce it. So I, you know, full disclosure, uh, he's taught in French-speaking Africa and at Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University. And he's come out with his latest book, Humble Confidence, A Model for Interfaith Apologetics. Again, what I like is he kind of takes it a step further, not just about rational arguments for the resurrection for, you know, the historical reliability of the New or Old Testament, right? He takes it a little bit a step farther than just arguments and says, how do we contextualize our faith to our different context? You know, if you grow up and you live in a Christian subculture or a Christian community, sometimes you just take this stuff for granted and then you go on vacation or you, you know, you watch a movie or something like that of a, of a context that is completely different from yours and you, you're kind of lost and it's a little bit overwhelming. And what I like through this conversation with Benno is he helps break down some of those common barriers that can 
sometimes just intimidate us and make us feel like, oh man, uh, maybe I am weird because I'm a Christian. Yeah, I think he'll have some helpful ways forward for someone that could maybe feel a bit intimidated about sharing their faith in this. I know he will because we already recorded it. <laughs> it's funny we go back and forth. Um, it's I'm now not always sure what to do here in the intro because it's like, do we talk past or, or future tense? <laughs> and so we have this this weird thing, um, but. Benno, he's a fantastic communicator, and I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Well, Benno, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast. Thank you for taking some time today. Thank you. Great being here. Well, it's great, and I'm in Idaho. Dave's in Cincinnati, but we've got. It's great to pull you in from the other side of the pond, so to yeah. speak. Uh, mm. Whereabouts are you are you located today? I'm in Groningen, which is uh, north of the Netherlands. Yeah, in the midst of snow today, but that's quite rare in this part oh, of wow. part. Yeah. I asked you where you were at because I have the I have it in the bio, and yeah. I just cannot for the life I cannot pronounce that that name. So <laughs> Groningen, Groningen. That's we have some typical uh, sounds in the Dutch language. Yeah, challenging um, for others. That's great. I needed my wife for this interview because she comes from more of a, a Dutch background. And so um, she, uh, she, yeah, we, we ha- have had a lot of good conversations on that. So this is a day I needed her. Um, yeah. You grew up in, in the Netherlands from what I understand. Yeah, I grew up in uh, sort of the Rotterdam area, which Rotterdam is, of course, the main city. But I grew up in quite a rural part, although I would think that with it, with in, in uh, relation to some parts of Canada and the United States, it's not really rural but sort of more smaller villages near to a main city. Yeah. Biggest differences, I mean, um, I would say when we break down our podcast audience, maybe 90% come from Canada and the U.S. Yeah. Greatest differences between where you grew up and the general, I know you spent some time in the Midwest, some time yeah. in Vancouver as well. Um, greatest differences that you would say in terms of culture, personality, th- things like that? I, th- I, th- I think that the Netherlands actually is uh, very is, is a very secular country, as you may know. It's complex. It's, it's it's so in the Netherlands you have very strong Christian communities, although they are uh, they are uh, they are diminishing in size. But you have strong Christian communities, uh, but they live fairly uh, sort of in 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 their own social bubbles, often with their own schools, their own communities. Uh, sometimes you know particular areas, uh, but within a wider secular society. Um, but that, that often means if you grow up there, in, in, in my case, that you almost grow up biculturally. So I, I grew up in, the, in, in, in a village in the Bible Belt, uh, but was in a fairly secular school, although Christian in name. Which means that, in a way, you are bicultural. You know, I we now speak mm. about people who are who, who who are part of two religious contexts. I, I I think that in a way, I grew up biculturally. You know, and feeling sort of what a secular worldview looks like from the inside, or feels like from the inside, and what the Christian worldview and the Christian lifestyle feels from the inside, because you you switch between between the two, and sort of in a in a relatively secular context, you go along. Uh, when you're younger, quite embarrassed to show that you yeah. might be different as a Christian, and you you switch, which uh, might look, help you uh, feel these very different because, worlds from the inside. So, so yeah. the idea that you were a Christian was that looked down on by society? Was it something that you always felt you had to keep hidden? Um, 
I, I think I tried to talk about it quite openly, but it wasn't easy. So even though I was in a Christian school, it was something to be embarrassed about. It's still something to be relatively embarrassed about. Yeah. yeah. Do you think just, do you think because it's antiquated, right? Like Dave did, sorry, I'm cutting you yeah, off. It's, it's, it's something from, from the past. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's something for possibly less educated. Maybe it's not about education. It's more that it's people who cannot really face the world, do not really face the world. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel like that some of your passion for sort of apologetics, contextualizing your desire to to maybe talk to some of your more secular friends in these early times? Do you feel like that was some of the impetus behind your writings? Like how did how did your because a lot of your writings sort of deal with some of these things? Yeah. Where, where did your passion I think, come I think the, from some of this? The, the two things came in two steps. So so my interest in apologetics grew very early on when I was a teenager. And that was mainly dealing with my own questions because I I, I really, uh, I, I, I grew up in a warm Christian family but and, and, and was attracted to it, but felt I wouldn't be able to keep doing this if I wouldn't be able to justify my faith. Uh, so, so that was my personal interest in apologetics. Um, it was only later that I realized the importance of contextualization because, you know, after theological studies, when apologetics was also quite central, not in my university, but in my own sort of reading and so on. Um, we went as a family to uh, Central Africa, where I worked for many years as a, as a missionary, my wife also. And uh, I was asked to teach apologetics there and realized that the way I, we did apologetics in Europe didn't make sense at all, wasn't relevant at all. So then you start realizing uh, how contextual apologetics is and how most of the apologetics that we have developed in the, in the West only uh, relates to a very specific group of people. Yeah. So, Can you give us so some examples like, of, of the yeah. challenges? And, and define apologetics that for most in our audience will be familiar, yeah. some won't be. Yeah, I, I would say that that a Apologetics is about showing that you're giving reasons why you believe your faith to be both true and relevant uh, and relevant for others too. So that would be a broad definition of apologetics. But the, the issues are, of course, um, very, very contextual. Uh, you know, uh, if, if, you, if you would speak to a Muslim, then uh, their main challenge in, in the West, the main challenge would be, you know, wh why do Christians have such a rigid ethics? You know, can, can you accept a religion that is so restrictive? And Muslims would say, why do Christians have such a vague ethics? You know, we have a clear ethics, exactly clear what you need to do. Um, if, if one of the questions that would come up in Africa was, how does it come? That was more from a primal beggar, not Muslim, but how does it come that when uh, someone in my family is ill and you go to a doctor, they might not be healed. You go to a pastor who prays for them, they might not be healed. And you go to a traditional healer and they're healed. How's that mm. possible? You know, it, mm. it's, it's not a question whether it's true or not, but that is their experience and they want yeah. you to say something about that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, so I've had a number of conversations with friends on this topic and how we deal with apologetics. And I would say largely um, when Christians in America and Canada think of apologetics, we think of reasons to defend our faith, right? Yeah. Um, going back to Dave's point earlier, when you went to Central Africa, well, 
what were the, some of the ways you felt ill-equipped? What were some of the biggest issues, again, kind of tacking on to the, what you just shared, um, what were some of the biggest issues that you realized um, in your Western context you weren't necessarily grappling with that you now had to grapple with all the time? It, it was basically because the things that uh, I, that much of my apologetic formation were about were not the real questions of people. People were not worried, worried about the question whether God could exist, mm. whether science could be combined with a religious faith. Uh, they were not worried about the fact whether uh, a book could be the word of God or whether someone could rose from the dead or whether miracles would happen. You know, this is already about 80% of most apologetics. That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> people, people were not worried about that. Yeah. Uh, but, but they Which were is discouraging very worried. for people that write on apologetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, a major issue was actually, you know, how, how about um, religion being the white man's religion? Mm. And if you start thinking about it, you, you, you think that's a simple question. You know, uh, because you you think you you say it's not a white man's religion uh, because it came from Jesus and Jesus came from the Middle East, uh, and uh, it's quite clear that we not always realize it's a non-European religion, but it is. Yeah. But but it's a very layered question you discovered after thinking because um, uh, it, it's not just the white man's religion; it's the religion of the people who colonized your nations. And who have abused their faith to subject mm. their people, at least in your experience. Yeah. Um, it's a religion that in its expressions is very white. It feels like a religion that comes from outside. It's a religion that doesn't uh, answer the questions uh, uh, people from here, Africa, do not ask. Furthermore, it's not the religion of your ancestors. You know, traditionally, of course, religions are religions that come from your ancestors. How can someone who's not your ancestors be relevant for you? So there's a whole range of questions that come up with this simple reproach: Christianity is a white man's religion. Yeah. And so and you can end up. up that, yeah. You see, you can end up answering questions that no that nobody's asking, and then yeah, not yeah. answering the questions that are sort of. I we I was talking with a colleague here maybe yesterday, and we were talking about. Uh, his i think his nomenclature was something like cultural exegesis but essentially understanding the culture that you're working in and how uh, we were i think our our con our conversation was contextualizing the gospel and how paul would would view this huge thing if, and in one context he talks about it primarily like atonement in another context he's talking about christ overthrowing the powers in the gospels you get this kingdom of heaven stuff yeah. and depending on the context you're kind of seeing yeah. this from different angles how did you is it just an experience thing? What would you say to someone that's trying to speak to a culture that that maybe they're not from? Because I think to Ezra's point, I've got the Western, oh, the 80% that you said they don't have a problem with. I think I've got that down. All my training was in that. And so yeah. when I think of talking to someone outside of that, I don't know where to start. I And it seems like you've done some real deep thinking about other cultures. Can you Could you maybe... Give us some help. Yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's not very different uh, from here in a way, because um, in a Western culture, you know, there are questions you might think that you know what they mean, but they might mean very different things for different people. So, so think about a very common question in the West. Um, how can a good God allow suffering? That's a question that can mean very different different things. You know, it can mean um, 
uh, how is it possible that an almighty, all-knowing, good God allows suffering because he should be able to stop it? That's the logical problem. Uh, but it might also be a question about why is the church so insensitive about suffering? Or it might also be a very personal question. Uh, where was God when I suffered and I prayed? Uh, yeah. You know, so it's, it's very different. And what you need to do always is to really listen, be uh, curious. Curio curiosity is a great thing. Uh, and the, the fact that you're able to listen is a first step because it shows that you're really interested. Uh, it shows that you want to understand people. And it may also implicitly convey something of a faith uh, that God will relate to you, that who you are and where you are and where you come from is relevant uh, for who God is and for God. He's interested in that. Um, and it also shows in a way that you're not necessarily afraid of that. Um, so so it, it shows something of the confidence you may have in the gospel. Um, so I would say uh, start with listening and then you will discover. And so, so one of the problems with apologetics, of course, is that we, we, we want to get a thing across and we, we look for hooks. To, we're not really listening. We look for hooks to get our arguments across. Um, and, and, and real apologetics is something that, that should be, I think in most contexts, not all contexts, but it, it should be conversational with a lot of listening, a lot of probing. And, and if you show a real interest in others, then people might start listening and it means if you think about different cultures, um, you know, not all of us will know every culture at equal depth. Yeah. Um, I already said, you know, I, I still feel that I understand secular cultures in more better than I understand sort of primal cultures, although I lived there eight years. Yeah? But I understand primal cultures quite a lot better than... Um, sort of new age religions. That That's not really, my, I, I did some study about that, wrote something about that. The primal cultures I've worked a lot more with. Sikhism, I, I, I know a bit, but not a lot. And that, that means that you can engage in several levels of conversations. And I think virtually all of us have acquaintance with at least one culture apart from this Christian subculture of which we are a part. You know, that may be uh, the, the Hindu culture of your family, for many of us, a secular culture. It may be sort of the alternative spiritualities in which your aunt, aunt is dabbling all the time. You know, you, you, there, there are some cultural contexts you know quite well. And there may be also cultural contexts to which you feel called. You know, we, we invested ourselves in primal religions because we were called by uh, the church, uh, by God, through the church, to invest in that culture. Um, mm. Do you, Benno, what do you think of the idea that, generally speaking, people before, um, the general question people are asking these days, I'm maybe reflecting more of a Western context here, is more, do I want Christianity to be true um, before, is Christianity uh, true? Um, in mm. other words... Do I, is there something there that fulfills the gap in my life that is, is missing? Is that more of a Western question? How would you respond to that? Um, 
it, I, I, I do. I, I said explicitly and think about what apologetics is. It's about the truth and the relevance of the Christian faith, because for uh, for many people, Christianity can't even be uh, relevant. And that's why you cannot uh, have deep interest in it. So it, it, it should really uh, you, the, part of the conversation is to show that it's relevant, that it's important for you. Um, you know, I uh, to give an example. Uh, I know that there are significant conversations going on on the internet whether whether UFOs exist, you know, and, uh, yes. and there are there are those for and there are those against, and they 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 spend long days debating uh, with each other. I can't be bothered, yeah. Um, and uh, if someone would say, "Let me make an argument why UFOs exist," yeah, I, I would be quite polite, but. Uh, they would first need to start, indeed, getting me interested. Why? why what this might mean? You know? yeah. um, so that that's really going to be a, a, a part of it. It's it's not merely relevance. It's also attraction, mm -hmm. um, and it's also at a certain moment enough attraction and relevance to overcome significant barriers. So uh, someone in the Netherlands, I, I forgot the name, but recently uh, wrote a book, God Shame. Uh, hmm. he, he came to faith from a secular background and realized, and I've heard it from other people, how, how, how embarrassing it is to start believing in God in our culture. So if someone tries to confront you or, or, or share that, you know, you, you really need to have stamina to listen and to take it serious. Hmm. Um, and uh, you... Uh, you um, what would yeah, what would be the common the common object, objections uh, you'd face in, in your culture? Give me give me the top my, two or three. Um, so a main issue would be mere indifference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, a second uh, quite significant issue that uh, Christianity has a serious history of violence. Yeah. Um, can, can we just and, pause and there? Because yeah. I think that's, let, let me just pause on that question for a second, because I think that's, you know, for the last couple of weeks I've been reading, um, you know, King Leopold in Belgium and how he went to the Congo yeah. and, and they're just horrific, right? Yeah. yeah. And that story in different ways is replicated throughout human history of yeah. someone who says, I'm doing good. I'm taking the news of Christ to the Congo. And meanwhile, they kill between six and 10 million people, right? So, yeah, and, yeah. So that's a very common objection that I hear. If, yeah. if you're talking mm. to someone and they share that with you, okay, it's just a white man's religion, um, how do you respond? Um, it depends, actually, who I would be talking to, in a way. Mm. Um, because if, uh, if I talk to someone uh, from Congo and he tells me that story, uh, I need to be very careful because I'm a representative of that culture and I need to be very careful not to be seen as defending myself. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, if I'm talking to someone uh, who's uh, white, who is European, it would be a different sort of conversation, I think. Um, and part of it is, uh, is uh, you know, being realistic and saying, yes, this is true. Uh, yeah, that's so we, we need to confess this. Uh, on the other hand, we, we may also sometimes need to be bold and say, you know, who were, 
who, who were responsible for the main atrocities in the 20th century? Stalin, yeah. Hitler, Mao, you know, th those sort of people. Th mm -hmm. Those were not necessarily Christians. So, so yeah. uh, don't try to tell that Christianity is mainly responsible for, you know, it's, it's, it's a broader human uh, problem. Um, uh, and, 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 and it is a problem generally of ideologies, including uh, religions, including Islam, Christianity, but other religions too, that if people uh, have an interest in power, they tend to abuse religion. Uh, yeah. We see that with Buddhism in Sri Lanka, Buddhism in Myanmar, uh, Hinduism cur currently in India, it's also happened with Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we also well, need in, to especially some... in the U.S., where Christianity yeah. is so popular, yeah, it's 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 yeah. very common here. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so you start defending your interest by uh, trying to rally people together. So you have a mm. certain political interest, and you try to rally people together uh, according to religious uh, interests, for example, it's a way of rallying people. Um, and that's that is in many cases abuse of religion. Let's be realistic. Um, yet, if we think about something like uh, uh, the, the, the relationship between uh, colonialism and Christianity uh, and, and mission, it's, it's a, we need to tell quite a nuanced story. Um, so part of the story is uh, uh, leaders uh, abusing Christian superiority to defend colonialism. Um, part is also that we need to realize that in that context, it was actually very hard not to feel that European culture was superior. It seemed to be superior in many ways, if you look from that perspective. But we also need to realize that many colonial governments actually were against mission because they found mission very disturbing. Uh, many missionaries lived in tense relationships with their colonial power. So, so the British government, uh, the British Raj in India, was mm -hmm. not very supportive of mission. They were, they, mm. they didn't like it at all. And and many missionaries were quite critical of the government. Um, in Africa, see, um, see that you just mentioned yeah. that that's that's an important point there because so I'm listening to a podcast called the Empire Podcast, um, and it talks about you know. The Raj in India, and and what what the the as I think it's William uh, Dolly Rumpel. He's a, he, a fascinating historian, and he writes about you know how the British essentially come to India. They, you know he talks about the atrocities. But what's interesting, I really found, was that he kind of lumps the missionaries in in with the two, yeah. with the colonizers. When uh, it seems to me there was um, there were some that went along with it, but there was also yeah. a very sharp divide. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a, a, a sharp divide. Um, and it was also experienced very differently uh, by different groups in India. So uh, I have a, a currently a, a doctoral student uh, who has a Dalit background. And uh, he says, uh, you know, the, 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 the most anti-colonial stories come from the upper class, upper caste people, because they like to maintain the traditional Indian system, which gives them the upper hand. Actually, uh, for many people from uh, uh, casteless people, it was really liberating. Uh, so, so there are also different stories there. Um, do you, yeah. Do you feel like uh, so? Uh, yeah, I grew up in a in a public school in Detroit, and I would have these conversations. And as I thought about it more, I used to be very defensive, but it seemed like it it was much more effective. To your point, just to acknowledge, hey, 
things, th- these things were not okay. This was a problem. Yeah. And also in the name of Christ, they were doing things against the person and teachings yeah. of Christ. And yeah. if I can point yeah. them back to the scriptures, maybe to the early church where, uh, you know, the status of women and the poorest in society and th- this sort of, this sort of leveling yeah. of hierarchy that was happening in the body of Christ that was revolutionary. I yeah. think, I think it helps frame for people. It doesn't, okay. It doesn't excuse the, 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 atrocities that were sadly done in the name of jesus but just to say that's not that was not what jesus taught and in some uh, in some cases you could maybe make the case that in some world religions some of the 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 negative things that go on are a logical outflow of some of the teachings of the people is that is that is uh the people that sort of founded or led the religion is that is that a fair statement to make do you think this is actually quite a complex thing, I find, uh, because uh, if you would uh, if you would say compare, um, the, religions have different relationship with violence. If you if you compare Christianity, there are definitely strands that can be used uh, for violence, uh, but but Jesus was non-violent, and and and, and actually uh, uh, the mainstream of Christianity might have a uh, a place for um just war yeah but not for jihad you know that's that's yeah. a different thing yes. uh, in that sense jesus was very different from muhammad uh because muhammad did not only condone violence because but he promoted violence for religious gain um yet also in islam we have peaceful movements so you you, you do have that tension but that doesn't make the yeah. the the sort of the religious leaders uh the the the, the same so we 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 some we we seem to share a common humanity that makes us all vulnerable to the use of violence and and some of us more than others and particularly those in power more than others um those are more vulnerable there may also be a common grace which means that in every context there are people who stand up for peace uh, who are willing to forgive who are willing to look for reconciliation um but you could still argue that in christianity that there are particular resources for reconciliation for peace that might not be elsewhere in the same way yeah um, it's good that you asked that, that, yeah. that, that question. I, w- I would actually also, if you engage with other people that raise those issues, be curious about their ideas. You know, how do they oh, yeah. think peace should come about? Um, how do they think uh, evil can be overcome? You know, because it's 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 fairly easy to uh, to, to criticize Christianity or whatever position if you never need to come up with anything else. Um, yeah. yeah. See, see uh, this is this is one of the problems. Are you familiar with the American author Sam Harris? I I think I've heard a name, but not, he not so he wrote a book. He was him, of course, Richard Dawkins, Christopher He's Hitchens. an atheist. Yeah, there was a whole group of them, of course, back in the I would say mid two thousands and kind of yeah. after nine eleven, right? They come out hmm. and and essentially we need a godless society. And yeah. So that's, the new that's atheist that group. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, it feels like we've we've kind of moved in a slightly different direction in the last few years, but th- there are arguments still. I mean, I was just reading Sam Harris's uh, letter to a Christian nation, 
I yeah. think back in 2006, and he kind of goes systematically through the reasons why he's not a Christian, right? And he goes, he attacks the authority of Scripture, he attacks, um, you know, whether it's the belief in God, and, and essentially his, I would say, his idea comes down to, I mean, well, everyone's got their religion, right? I know you mm-hmm. share, we'll get into this in a second, uh, the elephant illustration, where we're all yeah. just, and you can elaborate on that for those unfamiliar with the concept, but basically... All religions are there. We're just t- touching different parts of the elephant. Um, what in his his argument though is essentially we need secular godless society because religion pretty much just corrupts everything. That's the, the nutshell yeah. of it. Yeah. What do you say to a person like that? And in, this, in the same vein, what do you say to a person who says, "Well, I wouldn't go as far as Sam Harris goes." But I do look at all religions as just different parts of an elephant, and we're all headed in yeah. the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those are uh, slightly uh, different questions, or they are really different questions. Very the, different. The, the, the first question is: um, I would try to uh, to to think about the the the, the playing field. So it, it's dishonest to say about all religions or all, all, all violence that is committed by people that are religious, that it must be related to their religions. And then to talk about Mao, Stalin and Hitler and to suppose that their religiousness, uh, you know, the fact that they don't have religion, it is, is not at all related to that. that that's just no re- way to reason. So you need to ask, why is your religion influencing your violence or not? And how does it work with atheism? And you could actually, uh, say that I could equally make an argument why an atheist make you more prone to violence. I could. Um, so so let let's make the discussion a bit more complex and and, and tell about why I, I can tell why I think that that really that that Christianity at least or the Christian faith of following Jesus helps you to fight violence. Um, so that's changing the type of discussion. Uh, the the elephant thing actually is that. We, we need to point out there, it's a very convincing uh, convincing image. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, whatever can you say about it? But but people have pointed out there are a couple of issues. The main thing that people have pointed just, just out. Just clarify the, real quick, because some in our audience might not be yeah. sure what, what I'm meaning. So by that. The, the, the elephant illustration basically is it, it, it comes from India. Uh, I don't know whether original was told as if it comes from India. There is a, 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 a an Indian king and he's asked, uh, you know, how is it possible for all the religions in your country to live together in peace? Uh, he brings in an elephant and a couple of blind people, ask blind people what the elephant is. And one touches the leg and says the elephant is like a big three, tree. The other touches the, the tail and says the elephant is like a rope uh, or the elephant is like a snail, if, you know, or the elephant is like a rock or the elephant is like a, a, a sword, depending on what you have. And it's supposed that, um, you know, that all religious traditions are like blind people who cannot see uh, the elephant, see a part of it and think that that is the whole thing. Um, The big problem is that uh, the metaphor only works if someone is able to see. Um, Yeah. Because only the person who sees know that it, can say you are all only touching a bit. So that's the problem with someone, let's say someone like John Hick, uh, who was quite famous for saying there is a universal mystery. We all try to grapple with it. And all the religions grapple with it partly. That presupposes that he 
says that he knows what religions are about. He is the one who sees, you know, why, why do you think that you have a better idea of the divine than the others? You know, where, yeah. where, how do you think that you can see the others cannot? So that, that's the main problem. I would say, um, I believe that there is a God who spoke, you know, so that gives me a reason to believe that there's something we can see that others might not. But you, what is for you the reason you believe that you can see something that others cannot? You know, it's, it's, a, good, it's a valid question. Yeah. There's also yeah. another presupposition that is because the uh, the king sees, he presupposes that all blind people, he knows that all the blind people touch the same elephant. How do we know that? Suppose that uh, one of the blind person uh, is actually uh, touching a tree nearby. And he says, you know, you are a tree. Or suppose that uh, one of blind people has uh, the, the feet has touched the feet of the king and says you are my god or a blind person has a bit of elephant poo and uh, and he say you know uh, the, the the god is warm and schmutzy you know <laughs> if, if you're not if if everyone is blind we wouldn't know who touches what it's interesting i once told this story to uh, the story of the of the the the, the elephant i was teaching on different religions and I told it to my 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 I have three sons who were at the time maybe sort of almost 10 or just beyond 10 because they're three and I, I asked them you know what is not what is not right about this story the king is telling and I hope that they were very clever and they would say something about you know the king can see because I I worked that out and then uh, one of my sons said he says but the story supposes that the elephant is entirely quiet doesn't do anything what if the elephant uses his trunk and picks up one of the blind persons and sort of moves him around and shows what he is you know that, that's another issue of course that if you believe yeah. that god is entirely passive yeah. then then we're all grappling and uh, I, I think the Bible presupposes that if God would have been entirely passive, we would be groping in the dark. We wouldn't know yeah. anything. Uh, but if 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 God shows God's self, then we we the whole perspective changes. Part part of the one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is just how do we apply this to everyday Christians? So I would say, I think a, a lot of Christians. I won't speak for everyone, but if I were to pin a number of Christians down, I would say they they function for a some form of um, universalistic belief, not necessarily maybe in in their minds, but at least in behavior. And so, what I mean by that is, we don't um, we don't really share our faith with others because and really live it out um, because we in the back of our minds it, the, the question's kind of overwhelming to us. You know, if we travel to yeah. India or a culture where we're just overwhelmed, where we are the incredible minority, it's like, where do I even start? And so in the back of our minds, we say, okay, I'm going to live out my Christian faith, but I don't know, really know how it fits into the context of all these other religions, you know, mm -hmm. and, and where Christianity is vastly outnumbered. And I don't, and so I'm going to live out my faith in private, but I, I really don't know how I can share it yeah. with other person. Yeah. For the person that's stuck yeah. in that phase right now, what do you say to them? I, I, I should say first of all, I, I do recognize that sense of being overwhelmed. Yeah. So, um, 
uh, I was writing part of this book in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur is the, the capital of Malaysia. Malaysia is a very multi-religious uh, country, majority of Muslims, but there are also uh, people in primal religions, more people in Chinese religions, Buddhists, Hindus. Um, and I was writing this in a in an office building, 14 yeah. story, and sort of within 500 meters around, you had a mosque, you had a couple of Christian churches, different types of churches, but you also had a Buddhist temple, a couple of Hindu temples, Chinese temples. Oh, and you think, how on earth, where where do I get the courage from to mm. to say that I have something to share here? Uh, particularly also because we we often associate Christianity with religion you know it's a, it's a human idea of how do we live closely with God and 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 it's very hard to say that Christian Christians are better in religion at religion than say Muslims who are much more committed to the prayers they're fasting they're going to the mosque uh, or then uh, Hindus and Buddhists who are often much better at meditating uh, and 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 you know many people in sort of those traditional Chinese religions are very practical, very day to day, you know, very down to earth. You know, why why do you think this is better? Um, and I would say the the only thing, the only answer is that we believe that in Jesus, God has shown definitively what His plan with the world is. So it's it's um, it's not that. No one else can know anything about God. We see some, as Christians, we believe God shows the greatness of God in creation. Um, and uh, we, I also believe actually that the Holy Spirit is not necessarily uh, uh, limited to the, to, to the church because he was even there before there was a church. So, so the, the spirit yes. moves and might show truths. But we believe that in Jesus, there is something very special here. The, he, he rose from the dead. So the end of history is there. We know what history is about. Uh, here, God became a human being. So he's, he's not more merely a prophet whom we could compare with other prophets and ask, is he the best? No, he, he, he is God himself showing God's character. Um, so so that that's what the basis of our faith is. Mm. Um, and I, I think that one of the questions we need to ask uh, why do we trust Jesus? Why do I trust Jesus? Why do I have confidence in him? That also means that that part of what we do when we witness is, 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 is point to Jesus and say, he's the reason of my faith. Uh, he, he's the reason I believe and look to him. D don't look to sort of how credible I am, uh, how well I know my arguments, uh, because even if I know them well, tomorrow I, I may encounter a philosopher who's, who's more clever than I am, uh, or a mystic who has deeper experiences than I have, or a saint who is much better at uh, keeping fast than I am. You know, uh, but Jesus is the one who convinces me uh, that that God really has decisively revealed Himself at this place. Um, I'd say, especially in America, you have a little bit of a divide right now where some would say, 
you know, in the days of especially Billy Graham. You have the evangelistic crusades. Uh, I live not too far from California, and so right now there's a big movie going around, uh, The Jesus Revolution, um, and so it's kind of a popular movie, and it talks about how many people came to faith in Christ just because of, you know, the, the preaching of Scripture, right? And so you have those, uh, what seem to be great moves of God, and then, um, but then you have another group, especially, I would say, in recent years, who would say it's more incarnational living, if you will, where we just need to go, we need to live Christ out amongst our friends and our neighbors. And as we do that, they'll look and they'll say, oh, wow, you have something that I don't, and I want to become a Christian. And it seems like sometimes each group does not learn too, too much from the other. You have hardcores on either side. How do you look at those two forms in their extremes? And practically speaking, how do you live out your faith with others around you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should say I, I, I love uh, revival meetings and, and I've been more to them in Africa actually than in Europe. Uh, and, and, and part of the reason actually is that, uh, that, um, this whole revival Christianity presupposes a basic Christian culture that people share. So, so in, 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 I would guess that, um, that the, 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 the Billy Graham type thing that worked really well in the fifties, when there was a broad Christian culture that people had and, 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 and people needed to really be stirred to be serious about what they already vaguely, what was is what was acceptable in the culture. You, you were coming uh, home. You were coming yeah, home. Yeah, you were coming home. And, 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 yeah, and this is good. And, and, and that is why quite a number of the revival meetings now seem to happen in parts of uh, uh, the United States or Africa, where there is this subculture where, where, where people share a general Christian idea that's easy to accept. They have that in their background, but they need uh, these moments to be stirred and to really make that step. If you're in a deeply secular culture, you know, you people would just not understand <laughs> what this is about. Yeah. It wouldn't relate to them in any different way. So you you need to really show, indeed, by your life, um, that uh, th- that this is relevant. What, what in that context, I'm I'm sometimes quite worried about, and I don't know about the U.S. and Canada, so I can't talk about your context. But I find that in the Netherlands, you know, if people quote, say, uh, uh, you know, pe- people tend to quote um, St. Francis saying, you know, uh, 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 p- preach, the, preach the word the, the word at all time or, or the gospel at all time. If necessary, use words. You know, words yeah. are sometimes needed, but most of the time yeah. it's just your life. Um, the, the problem is that your life often might not be understandable with without words. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's people true. People might interpret it in different ways. You know, yeah. I may see something very strange on the road, and I won't even ask because I'm not interested. Uh, so a missionary told me a story. It's a quite a funny story in a way. Uh, he, they lived uh, in some country in Asia uh, for many years as missionaries, and they they wanted to do uh, incarnational mission. You know, really live with the people. So they 
as as a family they 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 gave enormous sacrifices they lived in a local house very primitive no running water just to live with uh with 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 the people and and waiting for them to ask and uh, they done that for a considerable time and got a bit tired of it i guess and uh, and and then uh, at a certain moment, uh, one of the couple asked the neighbor and said, um, "Are you never wondering why we live among you in this way?" And he said, "Yes, we actually do hear that there are uh, are people in the West that are out of a job and can't make a good living, but <laughs> never thought that they would go as far as coming here to find another life." <laughs> so. <laughs> people just interpret things in their in their own way and, and and many people in the west cannot make sense of that and and, and one of one of the issues is in um in the west is then we have a very strong consumerist society and everyone can just opt for their own way of living and some ways of living that i see around me that are not christian are for me just really weird but you know, or their personal tastes. People do choose those sort of lives. You know, you you have people who really live by enacting uh, medieval battles. That's their hobby. That's what they do. You know. Yeah, yeah. They just like it, and I I think that for many people, Christianity is like that. You know, might in some way be attractive, not for me, uh, um, but but it doesn't in any way. It it's not sufficiently relevant for me. Uh, and 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 there's only a few people who might really like that community enough to get at home, and 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 that's that's often actually the 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 the, the more people who lack stability in life and who are really welcomed in a stable Christian community. Mm. Yeah. So, and and they feel at home, and that's a good thing that they feel at home there. But that's often also then the type of evangelism that uh, reaches out, particularly to sort of the weaker people in the margins of society we, we we have a really a call towards them but we also have a call to testify to people who seem to be well at ease in the world where they are yeah now, this is speak- a fascinating conversation uh, i know we got to wrap up here but dave bring us home here what, what's on your just mind as you listen? last last question ben just do you is there so i'm um, going through acts and just thinking about the the phrases like boldness filled with the spirit this this courage to be in this countercultural community that literally believes god became man and rose from the dead like yeah. there's a certain amount of i my perception is at least for me personally there's a certain amount of um reproach you know like yeah. you're um there's a cost to to doing something i i feel like sometimes as christians we want like want all the comforts and all of the accolades, yeah. I want to be perceived as a smart, thoughtful person. And so yeah. somehow I have to share this very countercultural message in a way that doesn't offend anybody and sort of like shades away from some of the, yeah. the frankly weird stuff that we believe. Maybe give yeah. uh, just as closing a word of hope, because, I mean, I love your Jesus emphasis uh, in the past few minutes, but just a word of hope to people that may be. Honestly, if they really came down to it, the barrier for them sharing their faith is they're afraid. They're afraid of what people are going to think about them. They're afraid of getting laughed at. Um, they're yeah. afraid of being thought of as foolish, like Paul was when he shared yeah. at the Areopagus. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just give us a word there. 
Yeah, Paul, Paul actually, actually, it's nice that you say that because Paul does not only say that uh, the cross is foolishness. He also says that, and we are fools for Christ. You know, that's that's one of yeah. his, his phrases here. So we also need to need to be willing to accept some ridicule. Um, and let's also, in a, in a, in a gentle way, uh, sometimes laugh about other people because people may be helped if we laugh about them. You know, if 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 you think about how people in you know our our whole system in our society, or not our whole system in a society, but the significant segments in our society live as though you become happier when you consume more, when you have uh, the latest telephone, when you have the latest. Uh, type of shoes when you have the newest relationship and you run away with your other what whatever and it, it to me it seems that it's that it's 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 quite strange to believe that because it's so evidently untrue but yeah many people believe it and let let's also sort of um not laugh at people but 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 show there's a lot of humorousness and that if that is indeed how people live then yeah sometimes they'll find you 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 funny but that's because yeah. you're different and because you're happy to be different. Yeah. Best places that people can follow you online. Uh, of course, we'll, I uh, definitely want to recommend people pick up the book, um, Humble Confidence. Um, best places people can follow you, though, on, online. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not a very online person. But if you look, if you, if you look on, uh, online, then, uh, then, then you'll find... Uh, uh, some places where I'm where I'm visible uh, on on in YouTube films talks that I've given. Um, uh, I'm I'm and a number a of lot. great YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah I'll just yeah, second yeah. that. Yeah, and um, um, I, I'm also an academic, so I I, I do a lot about making different uh, parts of the world. I'm I'm studying intercultural theology uh, available to other people. So one of the places where I'm uh, present is a website called African Theology Worldwide. Uh, it's a website trying to make African theology and African Christianity more visible and more accessible to other parts of the world, mainly the academic world, to realize that if you're always stuck in your own context, there might be a lot you uh, you can discover. So that that's actually part of what happens in this book also, that we, we try to see that if you look at how people in, say, Asia and the Middle East uh, and Africa do interreligious dialogue, we might learn a lot about how to testify to jesus in in a western world mm. yeah. it's it's so great two weeks ago we had on isaiah robertson and he talked about the history of the black church in america mm. and just how much you know a lot of times and, and his point was that when we say the west oftentimes we're actually mean the white west right yeah and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then how much you can learn from from their culture and what i love about that statement is again there's so much that can be that western Christians and especially Western white Christians can learn from other regions of the world where Christ is, yeah. is really at work. So Benno, thank you so much for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. I enjoyed the conversation. Great conversation with Benno. And um, Dave, what were your thoughts as you, as you listened? You know, the the book, we were talking about it beforehand, heavily, heavily footnoted, like he's a scholar. Uh, he's a, he's a, He's a he's a well studied person, and yet when we kind of boil it back down, he he talks about starting with Jesus essentially. Uh, to borrow uh, Dennis Kinlaw's terms, but I just I was just struck by 
you know, here's this very learned person just saying, like, we have to get back to the reality of the gospel. And and Jesus, this the God who became man, that's this is the focus and center of Christian faith. This is the object of our worship. We can't pull away from that. We can't be afraid at the very end talking about, you know, this is foolishness to people and we're going to be fools for Christ. There is a certain reproach that is expected. Um, and yet, and yet, um, in, engaging someone in a way that they can understand, starting with somebody uh, on common ground, uh, the ability to listen. Those were some of the things that just jumped out at me um, while he was speaking. What about you? Yeah, it's I go back and forth because I try, when I think of my faith, I guess where it starts to come alive to me is if I just live it out in the context of how I work, how I do life. And so, for example, when I work with clients, I don't, I'm not just going into the conversation. Okay. So I, well, the reason I'm a Christian is, you know, da, 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 da. Um, but I, and I don't always look to interject. Okay. So yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian here, but you know, by the way, I've done that in the past and it just never really went well. <laughs> it always felt a little bit like manipulative and, and all that. And so I guess where I've landed is, is that in my faith, I, I make no apologies. I mean, there are certain things sometimes again, going with a client's thing, uh, they'll be like, hey, so why don't you cuss or, or things like that, right? And I'll just be like, hey, so here's why. You know, this is just, you know, my, my thing. And, and But then it often opens up an opportunity for a larger conversation. You know, why don't you cheat on stuff? Or why don't you, you know, so there's moral things, but then also life things. Like sometimes people will wonder, I mean, why do you go to church? Or why do you take time that they would might see as, frivolous and things like that. Uh, why do you raise your family in this way? And so I guess for me, when the opportunities emerge, don't shrink back from that. Look for opportunities, but then also, um, for lack of a better term, don't be weird about it where you're always trying to feel like, ah, I've got to close the deal here. And if I don't close the deal, the onus is all on me. Yeah. The, the, the idea of the, those kind of formulaic things apart from the spirit can can sometimes be pro- problematic. I had I remember one pastor talking about trying to pick fruit that isn't ripe. Like there are certain points that there are people that just aren't ready to hear the canned speech. And um, I think Jesus had wisdom. He interacted with different people and different audiences a bit differently. And I think um, as the body of Christ by the spirit, we can kind of do that as well. I remember as um, <clears throat> one of the students I was with in grad school, we went out one night for Buffalo wings, but it was just a chill night. We were hanging out and he actually, uh, he started drinking and I'm like, oh man, this guy, um, he, he was quickly drunk. And I, I just told him, Hey, you know what? Your car, I know you got, I'll, let me just drive you home sort of deal. And, um, in that, in the context of that, as he, as he started to get a little inebriated, he, he started asking me questions about, uh, I was married at the time. He wasn't, um, he was kind of talking about, uh, sleeping around and all these things that would be kind of against, uh, the Christian message and the teachings in the scriptures. And so he starts asking me all these really pointed questions and I was able to tell him like how great my marriage was by God's grace. Um, how, how awesome it was to walk with God. Um, all of these things. And at the end of the day, I was very, I was very, there was so much like fear, trepidation, because he's just asking these questions yeah. one after the other. But I think he really respected the honesty. And at that moment in the spirit, I was supposed to say those things to him. Now, yeah. if I went around saying the exact same canned conversation that we had to everybody because it worked 
in that situation, in that time, I don't think I'd be walking in the spirit. But there are times when God will call us to witness to. And I think there's so many people in this in this in this world that are short on hope. And we do have a message of hope and flourishing. It, it's good to be in relationship with God and others who know him. And uh, I, I think that sometimes we complicate it too much or make it uh, unpalatable by the, the cannedness of certain things. I'll share an embarrassing story. Years ago, when we were playing hockey together in Cincinnati, there was a goalie and we would talk about different faith things. And I was always trying to like bring him to faith in Christ. Yeah. And um, I think I know who you're talking about. And uh, so one day I sent him like, oh, it's probably like a page and a half email. Just like outlining, oh, so this is, you know, this is why I'm praying for you. And looking back, I don't remember what the email was about, but it was, I'm sure it was probably reeked of condescension and all this stuff, right? But, you know, I was praying for him and I wanted to see him come to faith in Christ and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and so I sent it, never, he never responded. <laughs> we played hockey together <laughs> the rest of the season. Probably the most awkward thing ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, back when I didn't really know, know what I was doing. Um, but then years later, he moved, sent me an email and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, you know, thank you for praying for me all these years and things like this, found a church, I'm going here. Wow, yeah. And what was fascinating, like I, I majorly messed that up. Right. I just mm. I blew that in every way possible. But I do think God used some of those things despite my yeah. um, immaturity and everything. And so maybe that's of help to some of you that sometimes you look foolish because you're dumb like me. Yeah. <laughs> and as, make but, dumb mistakes. But, but through yeah. that, you know. Yeah. The, the, the power is in the message we share. It's not in getting the messenger totally squared away because there's always to 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 Benno's point, there's always going to be somebody smarter on the other side, mm. somebody that's had more mystical experiences, somebody that's more in tune with faith practices and fast more and attends synagogue more or something like that. But the message we share is so liberating for people. Yes. And uh, that it's gives me point. confidence. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.